Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Dabblers Book Club, the podcast for people who've never read Chaucer and probably never will. I'm Curtis. And I'm Hadja. And today we are joined by a very special guest, uh, my friend Vicky Calloway. Now, Vicky is a writer, editor and teacher at university and lives in Bogota in Colombia. Um, now, Vicky has recommended our first book for today. But before we get to that, how are you, Vicky? Oh, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, no, when you mentioned this book, so it's No One Is Talking About This by Patricia Lockwood. It's just been shortlisted for the Women's Prize for Fiction, um, but it was long listed when you read it for a book group. Is that right? And I think you wanted to talk about it because, <laughs> funnily enough, no one's talking about it, but you wanted to talk about this. Um, that I think you had different of opinions to your book club about it. Yes, I don't even know if it was long listed, but we do this kind of vote thing. Uh, one of the other women recommended it. It received the highest number of votes. So it was the first book we decided to do and everyone was really excited. And because of work, I couldn't go to the book club. And I loved it. I read it. I loved it. And I was so excited, but you know, that's life. And so I said to one of them afterwards, hey, you know, how did that go down? She said, oh, it's terrible. You know, we we couldn't even speak. I mean, we ended up just having a general conversation about the internet because everyone hated it. And I couldn't believe it so um I had I scheduled a call with them and made my case and they were like oh yeah okay you've convinced me whatever but I was just I was really happy that it that it's been nominated I don't know if it's going to win the women's prize I think Mm. probably talk about that because I think maybe it's a bit subversive I'm not sure um but that's the background and I and I think we are reflective of a lot of people because when I started to read I think it is quite a diverse divisive book really is yeah Mm. um so for our lovely listeners dear dabblers this is no one is talking about this it's by patricia lockwood and i'm just going to read the first paragraph because i mean unless you want to do the synopsis but i think in this case curtis usually does our synopses but i don't think you're i think you're stuck with this i think it's a tricky one to do (laughs) a synopsis so go for it um so a woman known for her viral social media posts travels the world speaking to her adoring fans her entire existence overwhelmed by the internet or what she terms the portal are we in hell the people of the portal ask themselves are we all just going to keep dying good dying doing this until we die um and i won't go through the rest of it um but that's the sort of starter premise and there is a more emotional thread running through it there's a her sister's um baby who's born with uh, severe disabilities and it you know it has a a different sort of journey but it's really hard for me like to summarize it was um it's quite yeah definitely well, well, a divisive on the book black. The, bur- the blurb on the back, sorry, mm. describes it as like looking through a kaleidoscope, which yeah. I thought was a pretty good way 
of describing it because obviously it's these quick paragraphs and snapshots from around the world and different things on social media. Um, so I guess actually first things first, uh, Vicky, first off, thank you for the recommendation. Um, obviously you really like it. So I'm quite keen to hear your, I don't know, like your love put letter to it. Like, yeah, put, <laughs> let's hear your case. What did you say to your book club? Uh, well, the first thing is I thought it was really funny. I mean, I, I thought it was brave humour. She is kind of laughing at a lot of people on Twitter, including herself. She is laughing at our current responses to a lot of struggles. Mm. She kind of has a little laugh at feminism. She has a little laugh at one of the responses to the summer of or the movement of Black Lives Matter and all the gains they've made. And one of the responses being a, a kind of uh, anti-racism education and, uh, and, and where it ends. And so she sort of makes jokes about that. So I, I did laugh out loud. And then um, it's a book of two halves. So as the as we get into the sadder or well not even I don't know if sad but just um, a challenging sort of thread towards the end of the book and and what what would be in real life, um, I think it, it raises important questions about what matters to us, how we live, what we talk about, um, and and how important our online interactions really are and, and what life is really all about. So I just you know I went in with loads of passion enthusiasm for my book club and I hopefully convinced a couple of people. I mean, I started off really enjoying it. It was really funny, like you. I just found it, like, some of the parts that are so hilarious. I mean, I can't recall them, but, I mean, the very title, No One Is Talking About This, which I imagine is like a nod to, can we all talk about this, please? And it's just the constant thing. And the thinking was so funny. Why did I think that was funny? Like, she she has a few things where it's um, just... And it's bizarre, and it sort of talks about the baseness of our humour and how it's lowest common denominator, lowest common denominator and all these in-jokes that you have to be a party to and you have to know what was trending six months ago to actually get the joke that someone else is making and almost the flatness of culture as we're going towards it. Just what is this? What are we all laughing at? This... Um, and yeah, it, it definitely really spoke to me on that level of just complete, you know, I get very depressed about social media and I'm one of the probably heaviest users in like um, in my age group, I think, because um, I am adi- just constantly stuck on it. And I'm not even I'm, I'm not even an active tweeter. Like on Twitter, I probably two or three tweets a day, maybe. But you get I'm not one of these people. It's 60 tweets a day just having these conversations. Um but you really got a sense of just the emptiness of it and this, um, yeah, the kaleidoscope's a good way of putting it, but just the muddledness of it all. Like, what are we doing? How is this funny? What? Um, well, is it, and this is a question to you both, is it deliberately muddled, you think? Is it is it proving a point by being muddled about, you know, people's attention spans with social media and that's why it flits from place to place? Or is that my very dumb takeaway no i think well i think it's it so vicky's shaking her head no so it has little it's in very short paragraphs isn't it and it's very jenny offhill because we we read jenny offhill's department of speculation together um yeah what what did you make of the style i was shaking my head because i don't think you're dumb at all curtis actually to say that (laughs) because the kind of ricocheting around is exactly what twitter's all about Mm -hmm. she makes that point you know there can be a really heavy point about um Britain's, you know, I'm British, Britain's attitude to itself and its colonial past and how it tries to hide everything. And the next tweet can be uh, chicken vomiting. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that sort of like flicker, 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 flicker through is exactly what I think she's she's trying to capture. And she she's laughing at, at us and ourselves, but she makes some very on-the-nose jokes. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, I think she she goes and she meets a German teacher, I think, and I think there's a reference to him being blonde, so I assumed he was white. And he... Basically, I think he says something online, 
I can never teach anymore. And she had ended teaching for everyone because uh, feminism or whatever cause it was, whatever part of the struggle had pushed him into such a corner. That was it. And another one that really made me giggle because I recognize myself is um, there was some kind of reference to a white dog that everybody loved this white dog. Maybe it had blue eyes or something. And she was like, oh, that is so racist. Yes. Like, yes. yes. I remember that bit. And I, I was in this position because I've done one of these anti-racism navel gazing courses which it sort of traps you in this perpetual self-hatred of how racist you are and you sort of after a while wonder if this is actually helpful maybe it is maybe it isn't but she's definitely very attuned to this and uh, and I was speaking to someone who was somehow involved in rehoming greyhounds and they, they rehome 95 percent of greyhounds that run in, on the track apparently but they have real trouble re- rehoming black greyhounds so I immediately started thinking mm-hmm. And then I said, what about female greyhounds? Is, is that an issue? Oh, yeah, some, you know, people don't want to, people just want white male dogs. They just want to walk around with what is Yes, and, and it's sort of this, how far does this particular kind of anti-racism re-education and, and who is it targeting and, and, you know, how far does it go? Where does it end? What does it achieve and where does it end? And she makes a lot of, and that's why I think it's subversive because she makes a lot of very on-the-nose jokes about that. But these are slightly dangerous jokes to make. I mean, we are, we're not sure what the limits of this work, as it's sometimes called, is, and how helpful it is. But we're not really sure whether we should be questioning it either. I, I use we because I'm, I'm thinking about people like me who've done done this kind of work and, and sort of spent 30 days journaling about how awful they are and, and you know where they come from and how they reflect that. And she's sort of poking ahead above the parapet, this character, and saying, yeah, but where does it end? Does it, does it end with, with dogs? Or, you know, what is the, what are we doing and how helpful is it? And that's why I'm not 100% sure it's going to win the women's prize. I, I don't know if we're ready for these questions. Mm. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. I think you've got to admire how brave it is, though, actually. Mm. And it's taken to me listening to you sort of talk about it to kind of start piecing it together because I've only finished reading it today, just now, actually, before we started. And, and I was undecided, but already I'm kind of going, I really like the bravery here and some of the topics being um, approached. I mean, <laughs> what one that got me, because obviously the latter half of the book is um, dealing with grief in some ways. And one subject I've actually chewed Hadjazir off about in the past is how people um, who, oh, yes, who are grieving grief. in real life yeah. um, post about it on social media. And, I've, and it makes me feel really, really strange because um, obviously each their own, you deal with grief however you, you deal with it. use the channels that are available, I yeah. think, as well. Yeah. But, but I've seen, like, on Facebook, a guy I went to uni with post... Uh, who, who won't listen to this, so it's fine. Uh, who post a picture of, like, his family gathered around the nan on her deathbed in hospital. And he's kind of, like, posted this picture and the status is, you know, saying goodbye to this amazing lady for the last time. And in my brain, I'm going... I'm really sorry for you know what you, you're lost, but my God, put your phone down and just yeah. have. Uh, why is this all got to be on social media? Now I'm aware this falls, like this runs the risk of falling into the hole of us just moaning about how terrible the well, internet. Well, same is. thing. People would have said, "Why are you taking photos?" Even a hundred years ago, when we had the, you know, the cameras, totally, like, it's right. the same. But no, but again, to but, yeah. quote the title, no one is talking about this. Yeah. I think it's really odd that grief, how grief is spilling into. Um, and sorry, I'll give you a very quick second anecdote to back this up, and not criticizing them, but my sisters, my fantastic little sisters at their grandma's funeral uh, last year, they both kind of posted um, stories, like Instagram stories, going, you know, we're saying goodbye to an amazing lady. I'm going, like... Like, she's not on Instagram. No, none of the family... This was just a... But they were obviously just doing it as a... Because that's what you do, and that's what their peers do. Um, I don't know, but, yeah, grief, social media, it's a weird mesh, and I I do... I was intrigued as how... 
Patricia Lockwood well, uh, approached it. Isn't here. that what sort of happens? Because it almost puts a pause on all the. Because um, I, I didn't. I was a bit lost actually in the second half. Um, because she, I think that's almost where it stops for her, doesn't it? She's not performing about this. She's not talking actually about the the grief and and the and the baby. Uh, she, I think she's asking both questions because at some point she wants to post about this, hmm. but she doesn't want to be the macabre person on social media that people flick past. And she and she refers to the people who uh, take a photograph of themselves in the bathroom with toothpaste on the mirror and only get eight likes. And she's like, I don't want to be one of the one of the saddos on social media. So. I, I don't want to talk about um, this beautiful baby and the fact that we don't know how long we're going to have her. I'm, I'm not going to spoil, but you know, um, this particular kind of happiness and grief and, and how and how it shines through. So I, I sort of do want to talk about it because it's so important and so beautiful, and I want to share, and I don't want anyone to be excluded from social media. Um, but on the other hand, some things are are too special to go mm. up there with the vomiting chicken and the, yeah, and the yeah. guy who's like invented a new skateboard or an, a new hashtag or whatever. So I think she asks questions on both sides. She asks, are we okay to talk about this really, really important thing? Or should we not talk about this really, really important thing if we're going to have to go up against all these other things that really don't matter? So I, it, I think it's a, a clever book because she also doesn't preach at us in the second half of the book. You know, there were, there's a real danger that this book could be some kind of message about social media use. And I, I don't think it is. I think she's kind of saying, each to your own. But we do know this is autofiction. So there's some element of her family having experienced this. So she's saying, look, I went through this, I, I think, in some way. And it, we know the character did, because that's the book. The character goes through something. Um, and, and this was the response to it. And actually, all this joy happened. All this sadness happened to this very moving thing that will affect my family forever occurred. And I just didn't know whether to be online about it or not. And I didn't know where I was. And I'm not going to tell you what to do if you're in this position. This is just how this lovely family was. This good family, bad family, real family. It's so um, interesting for me, the whole area of, of grief and sharing. And because we are in a world where, yes, people do take comfort from other people sharing about their experiences. That, you know, even 10 years ago, I think that's too personal to even mention publicly. Um, and, you know, I, I get that side of it. But then on the other hand, it's why is our phone in our hand when this when something's going on? What is life? What on earth is life? And how it, um, it messes up and muddies our experience of life. What are we doing? How are we... Because if you're, and I remember when this first happened on Facebook, when we all started to join Facebook, and you know when it used to be Hadja is was the thing you, mm -hmm. they, they, you know, you had to put an is first as your status, and I remember we all started to talk about this. I was what nineteen twenty, and we realised that we were doing things, imagining what our Facebook status would be about that straight away, and this was within literally six months of using Facebook, and and it's this, but now it's gone beyond that. We're not even consciously going. Oh, this would make a good status. It's second nature. It's I'll just tweet about this or I'll post about this. Um, and I've actually, I've touched on this in a podcast before. We we're talking about how the response when you're doing anything for likes, when you get validation based on your opinion, that will either deep entrench you deeper in your own opinion. Because you're going, well, these people want to know this. This is what makes me feel better. And you're associating your ideas, your thoughts and feelings with people's um, approval of it. And then that will, that has to have severe um, implications on our, not just mental health, but actually mental uh, mental health in the brain function, you know, side of things. Not just I'm sad, but wow, my brain's not working anymore. 
Mm. Um, it's really, um, it's bizarre and it's terrifying, but we're all doing it and we don't, we can't stop. Um, we've built our lives on these platforms as well. But again, I think like what you were saying, Vicky, I like how she's not saying that definitively. No. She's hinting at it, but she's kind of just uh, offering you, you know, a thought process. She's not preaching, which, mm. yeah, um, it's a really nice way to go about it. Um, what did you both make of the the writing style? I mean, looking at the bare bones of it, like so, I would say you know very dreamlike. Obviously, like we said, deliberately muddled, flitting from place to place, quite global and universal in its anecdotes. So one minute that you're at a park bench in Helsinki, next minute she's talking about something that happened on the New York subway. Like, what what, what did you make of it all? I. I, I really love the style of the writing. I mean, I think this is a particular segment of the population that can identify and get these in-jokes. And it's an in-joke in itself, because just as Hatch said at the top of the podcast, that you have to be online a lot to know what all the new hashtags and stuff are. You kind of have to be online a lot to get this book, maybe. Mm. And, and only a particular group of people will sort of, will sort of do that. But I felt that every paragraph was something you could print out and frame and put on your bathroom wall. Mm. And people, yeah. wow, what a take. Yeah. What a take. I mean, I was just giggling. I wanted to highlight everything. I mean, she's so dry and so funny. And uh, and I, the humour at this time just really was, was great for me. Mm. And it, it's funny, actually, that um, some of the things, and we you sort of touched on it earlier, but they were really relatable. Like, you know, when she said about how your older relatives don't understand how to use emojis. Oh, yeah. So, so like, they'll use the, um, where it's laughing so hard it's crying, but they'll use that for actual tears. I've seen that and for grief. The, I showed um, you, didn't I? Someone I saw on Twitter, someone had died and he posted a laughing, crying laughing, face. Crying. And then with the squirty water. Oh, God. Yeah. The, and everyone's mum th- thinks it's uh, rain or whatever, but obviously <laughs> it's something else. <laughs> but having to know the context, like literally having to be online and not living your life to understand these things. Um, there is something else that I think is a, a sub-thread, if you like, that was really well done in this book. And that was um, debates about abortion. Yeah. Her father, I believe, is a priest because she has a memoir called Priest Daddy. So I, I'm joining the dots there. And I don't know how, how much we can talk about this because we, we've sort of talked about uh, grief and decisions that needed to be made. But there is, there is a portion of this book that's spent in, in hospital and, uh, and considering who has the right to have an abortion? At what point uh, can a pregnancy be induced? And I, th- I felt that she, I'm struggling a little bit because I don't want to go into too much detail because I think people should really enjoy we, it. We do spoilers on this anyway. People hopefully read you know, it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I when I've read the book. But um, yeah, so she, she's waiting. Well, okay, let's go for it. So she, her sister is pregnant with um, a baby that they're not even sure is going to survive outside of the womb. So abortion it's, it's not allowed to be mentioned. They talk about the legal aspects of that. One of the nurses says to her, why don't you just go for a jog and see what happens? And I, I felt it was so appalling that this woman wasn't given a choice. But then when the baby is born, the baby defies everybody. The baby lives for six months and one day. They absolutely fall in love with her. Her sister describes this period of time as pure happiness, the love and affection and great life they are able to give this baby. So it really look it just it's so nuanced and it's so you know everyone just this is a really difficult horrible time for you know to, to have to actually have to be making thinking about this decision it's a difficult horrible time so it, it really shone a light of everyone just do it the best you can and deal with the consequences whatever they are because no one can 100% know for sure how you're going to feel how you're not going to feel what whether what's necessary what's not necessary and I just felt it was so 
lovely to just hear someone say, no one has the answer for you. You just have to do what you feel and accept that it's what you wanted in that moment. Either way, whatever you decide, and, and all we can do is just give you our love and support and be like, well done you for making a decision because it is hard to make a decision. And I, and I just felt that in this world that's so polarized on so many issues, it was just lovely for someone to say, sometimes you just don't know. Yeah. And you just have to do what feels right in the moment. It was a really, I mean, I think something about the writing style meant I wasn't, I, I, I didn't feel as emotionally connected to the story. I felt, I think because of the broken down nature of the writing by the time it sort of switched tones a bit I was sort of watching it but a bit confused and I I think also the use of the she because um the narrator the narrator's not talking from the eye is she it's she's the she and then her sister's the she so that always like a bit I just kind of felt the words just sort of glossing over me and kind of hoping I was picking out the right bits and bobs is there something um and I wonder if I've interpreted this correctly is there something about the whole political context seems very more far right but it it felt a bit handmaid's taily to me um which is possibly what i had picked up incorrectly about the yeah the the abortion discussion everything um yeah did that did you yeah get that sense of this almost dystopian dystopian yeah because that's what's happening or you know if if rights are stripped away it starts to feel dystopian because that is real life i mean if you have your doctor cannot even say the word abortion when talking to you about a baby that may may not live outside and may may kill you while while she's growing inside you Mm -hmm. if the doctor's not allowed to mention that word we're in we're dystopian and we are in that yeah Mm. um so i think you're right to say it felt that way and i mean we all know that things have shifted that way and this, these are decisions that people should be able to, to try and make. I'm not yeah. saying that people need to make these decisions because they don't know, they didn't know the baby was going to kill her or not. It didn't, you know, or she didn't, sorry. Um, but yeah, I mean, you should feel dystopian if we live in dystopian times. I mean, and particularly when that book was written, we were in possibly more dystopian times. Yeah, because I'm, I'm guessing like the dictator is a sort of obviously pass at, um, at Trump and everything and, and sort of the right wing... Um, laws that we're going through in america and just some really terrifying ones you know abortion laws in america over the last couple of years just seeing these bills go through and just like this is how, how are we here um and i didn't know how far it had gone in so i was wondering what else the political context was i um if it did feel a bit i don't know if you were you aware, yeah, I mean, able I, to know where she actually was what the whole i assumed she was american um or possibly british um, no, she's American because she comments on British people, doesn't she, when she goes to... Right, in, OK. Yeah, so. um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think at one point she actually uses the term thought police. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if you remember that, Vicky. Um, uh, she does, actually. Not sure. Well, you're both Maybe. all well lovers, aren't you? <laughs> it sounds, uh, it sounds pos- very plausible. Yeah, so it's definitely in there. Um, but like you say, I like how it's just allowing you to like allowing us to go down this path of thinking about it. It's not preaching that we're in this dystopian overlord mm. um society it's just kind of letting us think and actually doing it with a lot of humor and challenging you know some some really interesting subjects um actually out of curiosity vicky so you said at the start um that your book group there were people who really didn't like this um so now sort of we've heard your you know your take on it your love letter to it what what was there what did they not like about it i think the fragmented nature of it i um I wonder if my brain works that way because I find it difficult that people wouldn't like that. But mm. that a lot of them felt they couldn't get hold of a thread 
uh, they, it was too fragmented, it was too unusual, it wasn't like a, a typical novel where you could follow a character on a journey and, and, and see conflict in that way. Um, they, they didn't like the character, mm. uh, felt that she treated her husband very badly because she was always locked into the portal, um, maybe didn't appreciate some of her humour. I mean, these, I'm just throwing out some, some of the feedback yeah, yeah. that um, I picked up afterwards. But, um, I mean, I've heard someone say, you either think it's a work of genius or you think it's appalling. And, and I'm clearly in the, oh, I think it's a work of genius. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely saw from a couple of reviews I looked at that that is what people t- and some people don't even know whether they loved it and I think I'm there I don't know whether I loved yeah. this or didn't get on with it because similar to the people in your book group I actually I, I clicked with it really quickly and I liked that fast paced we're here we're there I enjoyed the bite size paragraphs like you said I loved what you said about how you could frame it you know put it on the bathroom wall you know there, there's so many, so many really well constructed yeah. little paragraphs but then I did kind of um, get a bit fatigued by that but then when part two hit and that's the part with um the the little girl and you know all of all of that uh that that gave me a bit of a thread to hang on to mm. and you know see i actually almost lost the thread i was sort of waiting mm. for it to i mean but i didn't i mean because so yeah me and vicky read um we read jenny offill's book department of speculation um at uni um during our masters and i sort of read it and it washed over me um but you're a very Vicky is a very you're a very careful reader as in you actually give every word the the time and consideration and and love and appreciation it needs whereas I'm extremely impatient and just like why isn't this going in and just hoping something um yeah Mm. um, that's interesting how 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 long does it take you to read a book sort of like like this one like a fairly short and bite-sized I read it over two days I I read that for the second time um but I, 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 I like to get close. I, I can't bear it if I don't understand something. So I, I did reread. And I think she's so quick. She makes mm-hmm. a joke in one line. There's a lot of one-liners in here. I mean, yeah. she's so funny. And if you if you do skim too quickly, you can just miss, like, it would be something like someone was on TV saying Henry Higgins was an abuser or something like that. And you have to mm-hmm. be thinking about feminism and my fair lady and what was that about? And there's, I mean, you could sit there, ironically, and just Google a lot. Um, it, it felt like it needed like paragraphs reading two or three times um like to for them to really hit especially to hang on to a plot thread um for me because i could get the general like everything was just yeah really um captivating and funny like the, the canada so she's she got um found fame because of her canada twins post was that like something in the book i i, I don't I, I got the impression she's a, a twitter she was a twitter personality anyway but the character in the book yes found fame i mean that's a reflection of what we think deserves lauding isn't it her tweet yeah, yeah. was can a dog be twins and suddenly she's being flown around the world uh, and asked to speak at, at various occasions and she's laughing at herself for that yeah and the culture that creates that and it's just <laughs> so real isn't it it reminds me of the simpsons when bart becomes the i didn't do it kid oh, yeah. and he finds fame exactly. because he's yeah <laughs> Simpsons-esque though in that sort of satirical uh like draws you in gently and then you're gonna have to laugh at who you are if you watch this and I I mean for example there was one line I think her brother refers to somebody as oh he's got a terrible case of internet poisoning and I just I just saw things like that I just think you nailed it how do how are you so observant but one thing I wanted to bring up because I think this was so touching for me is when you're in the in the throes of really profound grief you know if you're sitting down with someone who has lost a sibling or a parent or something and it's really horrendous and then you'll say something maybe like, do you want a cup of tea? And I'll say, oh, the milk's off. And, and you laugh almost in that moment because you, 
that's how we are as humans mm. you know we we go up and down and we love each other and we and we say and silly things happen and there's a point in the book i think where the moment is so perfect in, and it's so profound i think she gives the baby a cuddle and the birds are singing and, and everybody is asleep and she has this profound realization about the world and it's too much for her it's too perfect so she flicks out her phone and probably looks up paris hilton's bra size <laughs> And, and I thought, I just, it, there was, I think there was a British humour in there. So I think she must have spent a lot of time in, in the UK because we're like that in the UK where British people are always that way. If things are just too beautiful and too perfect and too emotional, someone has to make a fart joke. Yeah, 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 yeah. We can't handle it. We, we can't handle too much sincerity. We can't handle too much love. And, uh, and so I was giggling at that. You know, and there's a point as well where they're looking at coffins for children. I mean, can you imagine this book? Mm. This book hides behind subversive humour to take you into some really sad places. Mm. And the quote from the sister when she looks at a purple satin lined coffin is, she's having that because she's classy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> and I just thought, yes, this is how, this is how the, you know, mm. life is a, essentially a sad business. Yeah. It only ends in one way. And the way we can get through it, and I feel like I'm welling up a bit because I did find the second half of the book very emotional for that regard. You know, the only way we can get through it sometimes is having a bit of a laugh, mm. cheering ourselves up about it. And and I think she just nailed that British art of like being a bit flippant. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's that's very true. Um, that's me all day. Yeah. Any, any funeral I go to, I'm trying to make jokes to, to kind of and that's how I show my love and support to the people around well, me. Well, you accidentally said he's dead and buried about something else at a funeral, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, that wasn't good. That was, that was actually an accident, that one. Um, but uh, I'll properly, I'll, you know, I'll go, oh, cracking buffet. <laughs> but we're so awkward. I think there's this awkwardness. And I wonder if it's a Western um, issue with grief and cultures around grief and dying. We do not have, you know, in Islamic traditions, you know, you you have the three days to burial, you have the 40 days of grieving, you have people are meant to gather around and, and there's so many rituals around it. And all we have is, oh, we're black for a little bit, you know, <laughs> and we don't even do yes. that anymore. I was speaking to a Colombian friend uh, today about Mexico and she was saying, you know, the Western cultures, and you just use that term loosely, but whatever, we kind of know what she means. You just pretend death doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, whereas in Mexico it's a festival and so on. And I, and I think it, it, that's true. And we are so awkward. The other thing I, I, I just felt invested in was, you know, how, how sort of dark you can be and how sad you can be and how real you can be behind humor. Mm. Yeah. And what she can get away with, where she can get away with taking us in this book uh, particularly in the second half, that we wouldn't read from an author that was straight up telling us things. I mean, it's the kind of memoir you avoid in the supermarket. You know, oh, that's too sad. I'm not going to pick that up. Uh, and it, and yet it somehow is real because she's funny. That's a really interesting point because, yeah, if someone had told me what the book was about, because I didn't actually read, you know, read up on it at all. I started it thinking it was just about the internet and all that sort of thing. And the other stuff that came in, it because of the way I was reading, it sort of crept up on me. And I was like, oh, this is happening because of the disjointed writing style and the flitting between the scenes. And you almost don't know if she's talking about a character in the portal at first. And then it's like, oh, no, it's her sister. And then, and, and like I said, there was that confusion over the, who the she was at, at various moments. Um, but, yeah, it's a really clever way of dealing with it. Um, and it foxes you almost because you think you're going down one route. And then it's like, oh, no, this is ultimately what life is about you know life and death birth death and you've got the two things in such a short period of time and how to deal with that it's it's the most real and the most lifey kind of experience you can have um and then juxtaposed against this sort of vacuous hilarious 
bizarre world that we've created for ourselves online um, with strangers as well, actual strangers. It's people talk about, oh yeah, I met them online. We've got these got these followers, and it's like you, we're so different online as well. You say this all the time that people who seem so active online, you met them in the street, they're probably the geeks that wouldn't even say, you know, boo to a ghost kind of thing. They wouldn't stand up for themselves in an mm. argument. It's just they have the safety of online you've, you've opened the book to yeah everyone's page. got a different persona yeah yeah um well i wanted to so vicky did you have anything on that before i um no i mean i'm all i want to know what you're going to read oh uh, i'm definitely right i'm going to get hadger to read it because i've tried it on the early days of this podcast of me reading passages and it turns I'm out i can't trip. i'm <laughs> going to trip over it now Go so on. no i wanted to know what you both thought the ending was um and it might just be that i didn't understand it i did quite like it so she is at the british museum she gives a lecture she says some really actually quite funny little stabby lines in there um then it sounds like she goes to a club that with the audience um and they dance the seven nation army and sweet caroline and it sounds like she's having a really good time and being drunk and um living living again yeah now if had if you don't mind would you read that f- Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Final paragraph. Uh, and I'll tell you what I interpret it as, and then I'll, I want to know what is the right answer. <laughs> Someone at some point slid her phone out of her pocket and she lifted off her feet, lighter. Her whole self was on it, if anyone wanted. Someone would try to unlock it later and see the picture of the baby opening her mouth, about to speak, about to say anything. Right. Mm. Is that her phone getting stolen? It is. Right, thank God for that. I thought. Well, no, I, was... I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, this whole book is open to interpretation i assume someone stole the phone and that's okay because yeah we can live without it even though it must have been devastating to lose all those pictures mm. of the baby that's life and it reminded me of a, a brilliant memoir i read of a, a war journalist who came back from uh, somewhere and then and he'd survived all these things and, and then someone in london nicked his phone and and it just sort of like oh you know, you go through all that and then and then this thing happens that just happens to all of us at some point and you just kind of have to go, oh, well, you know, I've been through worse. Yeah. yeah. And it's offline as well. It's like the, this is real life where people steal things still. Uh, like you're so plugged into this reality, but it does not exist without that device. Yeah. This thing you think is real does not exist. It's why I've made, started making a point recently of actually... Um, printing out photos and putting them on the wall. So um, like, I know you're in Columbia, Vicky, so goodness knows when you'll next be able to come to our <laughs> apartment. But um, but yeah, I've, I've, put, I've put all of the... Um, uh, yeah, I've put photos all, all over the, the walls because I was thinking I will at some point either my phone or the things will get deleted or my phone will break and I don't 
do all the backing up and cloud stuff. I'm probably actually exposing myself as really easy to like, you know, <laughs> yeah, for someone to ruin your life. But yeah, and I because I was just thinking, I want this stuff to be for me. So, for example, when I'm at home, I want to look on the wall and see it. I don't want it to be on Instagram for, you but know, also to so say, I show people I'm having fun. I have. Um, I remember, yeah, I moved a load of photos, pre-2014, 2015 photos, to a hard drive, and that hard drive got stolen. Um, and I am fine, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, all these digital things, they've gone. Oh, well. Like, it, it doesn't... Mm. However, I did once lose a bag of real photos, and I'm still devastated. I, I in Moving house, I somehow this old, like, 30-year-old bag of photos. Mm. That, well, we had found a, a film, and we finally got them processed and realised it was pictures of me with a baby. Um, and I lost—I don't know how um, I lost this bag during a move, but that's that what, hurts. That's what she's talking about as well that we haven't touched on is history and what is history. Mm. And a lot of it is about what people in the future going to look back and think of us. And and the fact that she's speaking in the British Museum is is important too because you know look at archives where they keep they keep uh, letters, handwritten letters, and they keep photographs. They're not going to be storing up email, are they? You know, is that our mm. communication and? And I think she's speaking about that as well. Will we? Will people look at this generation? What are they going to think? Mm. You know, some of the hashtags on Twitter and some of the things we talked about and some of the things that went viral. Yeah. Does that represent us, or is it all the things that we're not talking about? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's it's, and again, it goes back to that dystopia thing, doesn't it? We're in a whole new world of we we won't be storing emails because we send hundreds and hundreds of them a day which makes them so meaningless whereas a letter you know is a record of history and it would have marked out a point in time mm. i was i wrote an art a blog years ago about going back in the past and how easy it is on an, when you're logged into your email you can pull up an email from 10 years ago that will upset you like you can something can come up that will change how you feel you are back in that past if you're looking, if you decide you want to go down memory lane beforehand, you'd used to have to get your memory box out, go through things that you had decided were important and you had taken a choice and well, that's important. Or you might have thrown the box out at some point. But with emails, because all our communication is so easy, so accessible, there's so much of it and we keep everything. No one's deleting emails. You don't need to anymore. Like you used to, but not anymore. And you can be your past. You can be in that space instantly in a way that you used to curate we used to curate what bits of the past we wanted to hold on to and we don't anymore and we can see everything and that feels so um, unnatural and unhealthy um, but we can be taken down any sort of emotional um, hole we want. Um, and that brings us back full circle because it brings us back to the point she makes about things like that blog. Do you remember your fave is problematic? where you can go back through all of the correspondence that someone's had and find something that might have been acceptable to say in 2016, yeah. but is not acceptable to say in 2021 and, and possibly quite in a valid way. Um, but you, you know, I've got a blog that's online and I think, oh, that is like my teenage diary. I wasn't a teenager when I wrote it. I was in my late 20s. But still, I think I need to take that thing down because mm. if people start sifting through there, what are they going to find? Mm. Um, so I think it's what you're saying. It, it's an emotional thing that we, we've kept our past and it's right on top of us because it's digital. But also, you know, do we want it to be that public, everything that we, our whole lives? You get so paranoid about it. Um, and people do get judged on these things yeah. years and years later, don't they? Is that Jim Jeffries jokes, what we watched? You, tell it. you know, he was talking about how he used to, so Jim Jeffries, the Australian comedian, makes these hilarious, close to the bone jokes. And he was talking about how it, he used to push it as far as it would go 10 years ago. 
and you couldn't push it that far now. But people are digging up that stuff from 10 years ago. It's like, you moved the goalposts. I didn't do anything. I didn't change. Yeah, yeah. No, the, that, that's a really good example of it. And I was going to throw in, like, there was an incident recently with um, some Argentinian rugby players and somebody had gone on their Twitters but like 10 got to back when they were 15 it. and found them like using like a racial slur or something which is not good and they were 15 but they're now saying but they're now losing their captaincy in their mid to late 20s of their national country they've worked for going i i can't even remember making that and obviously i don't stand by it and but it's like you say vicky like it, it's all on there isn't it mm. unless we ourselves go and take these things down um because i mean the stuff we're putting out there now in five years goodness knows you know what how it's going to i mean it's like they used to you know, you know if they wanted um political loyalty they'd used to well not they used to the, the idea of films is in the firm you know you put someone in a compromising position take a photo and then you've got hold of them all the time but we're you know in case they do anything you can blackmail them but we're doing that ourselves now <laughs> sorry i've got a cramp which is why I, just, I just stood up bolt up is it from your run <laughs> I must be, yeah, that's really bad. Um, sorry. Pull his toes up, pull his toes up, Hatch. Oh, yeah. It's, it's got slippers on, like it's an really old man. one of those, yeah. This um, <laughs> will go viral, don't worry. Put it on the internet. Put it in the void. This Put it in the there stuff. wherever it uh, was. The portal. And no one is talking about cramp. No one is talking about cramp. Just speak, yes. See, the problem um, is we don't... Sorry, Vicky, actually, no, go on, go, go, go. No, I was going to talk more about my cramp, but you carry on. Um, she does mention briefly and it's one of those things something like along the lines of in a world where everything is cancelled will I too be cancelled and I think that that deep fear mm. uh, which has driven people like me to undertake courses in which I'm, I sort of have to hate myself and everything I've ever done for 30 days and then afterwards think am I actually making the world any better or have I just mm. got my nose wedged inside my navel um, and it's and, you know we're, we're so into our struggle and it's great you know I'm all for the struggle and I love it when all the different strands come together what we are asking ourselves how are we going to achieve what we want to achieve and is this the right way and is pulling up someone's statements that they made when they were 15 and, and firing from it in firing them for it is that what we want or not and that, that's the question that we don't know the answer to yet it seems yeah yeah and actually, how how do you feel as someone that you know has a book out there and like has a blog, you know, about the fact that someone could get the wrong end of something and present it in a way, and you could get inverted commas cancelled? How, how do you feel about that whole culture? I sort of cancelled myself in a way. Uh, I thought if I don't go on Twitter, it's like if a tree falls in the wood. <laughs> and if I don't go on Twitter, can I still be cancelled from Twitter? Which is just the kind of observation that she would make in this book, which is why I loved it so much. But of mm. course, you know, I co-wrote a book about Colombia with a Colombian, but I am not born in Colombia, even though I have lived here for 11 years now. There are so many questions about what, what I am allowed to write and what I'm not allowed to write. And is mm. it OK that this white woman wrote this book about Colombia? Yeah. Uh, only 10 percent of Colombians are white, you know, whatever. And, and I just thought, you know what, just do your work and see what happens mm. um in terms of being cancelled i mean I, I don't know what that would even mean for me because i don't have any kind of profile particularly mm. i went off of twitter for the for the pandemic almost until this point and no one noticed mm. so, i did actually <laughs> by the way i did notice you weren't. oh did you you're, you're, you're my one follower who was like where's she gone for like over a year i know yeah i know it's when people are quiet i'm like okay they, they're not yeah well, I just because I felt um, too overwhelmed to go in and, I, and, and you know, living in Columbia as well, it, it was hitting us in lots of really hard ways and, and, and things. And I just felt like I just need to just try to get through this in some way. And I think a lot of people probably felt the same way. 
Um, but I think all writers, all creatives, you guys must be feeling the same way. You know, what, what is it okay for you to say on the pod? What is not? What kind of books? Are you examining the books that you're studying and looking for patterns? Are you, you know, exhibiting your own white supremacy because of the choices that you make? And, and a lot of this stems from this very tiny one response, one solution that's proposed as a result of Black Lives Matter is that what we can do to, to win this fight is to get people to look at their navels and examine how racist they are. That's just one strand. And this book she does touch on, this is where we come back to the, you know, uh, am I racist because I said, oh, I love that little white dog, which she talks about. And that's why, again, I think it's a bit subversive and it's asking dangerous questions mm. that is, this book is cancelable on that yeah. basis. Mm. Yeah, it, it's it's really strange. And I t- totally get what you're saying, because when we do record these these podcasts i for one thing i always think that there's a, actually there is a chance that the author is going to listen to this podcast I'm, I'm not you know it's not like we're a big podcast or anything so i don't let's say i don't like a book which has happened in some of the ones we've done i don't really want to sit there and say it's really shit or whatever because they might well listen to it and who am i to point, who has not written a book to go to go and just you know and all they do is like reading to so do you know what i mean it's that it's that your your the things you put out there on the internet or in the podcast or wherever have an impact on people and i guess that's where maybe i'm talking nonsense but i guess that's where cancel culture and things come from ultimately i do feel like they come from a good place they just don't want anyone to be body shamed or racially abused however it's just a very aggressive way of dealing with imperfections people put out there i think it's the mobilizing force of online activism Mm. people feel like they can be more um black or white in their approaches to things they, they're not as nuanced because it's like something so obviously right or wrong and there's a way of dealing with it and um and they're so it's so easy to get a real motion behind things and, and real men, uh, momentum to drive things and you know i see some of my friends on instagram lovely people caring people but every post is something it feels like oh my god this is something else i should be doing oh now i should be worrying about this now i should be worrying about this and like where is the living where's this the life like we are all like you said we are all flawed we're all part of this shitty system and we're all also all these things social issues are actually they're a good distraction from where the money's going like um, literally where is our money going and we don't care about that apparently we care about using the right words or saying the right thing or feeling bad about ourselves all this sort of thing um and I think it's far more divisive. I think it's so good, obviously, to be aware of things. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm questioning that myself. But it's the think about this now, think about this now, think about this now. It's exhausting. And does, do people not want each other to be happy? Like, can we not just go, oh, I will think about that and I'll carry on with my life. But instead, it's are you proving you're thinking about things enough? Are you doing the public work? Or if you're not posting about something, do you even care about it? And I see it on Twitter as well. Oh, it's interesting to note that people aren't talking about this. It's like, so? They might have other things to do today. And I get it. Like, you want voices around a certain subject, but you want everyone to be everywhere all the time over things. It's I, I find mm. it very exhausting. And I, every now and again, I delete my profiles and then three three days later, oh, I need to post something about something because it's the world we're in. Um, but yeah, I find it extremely depressing, Vicky. That's what worried me a little bit about the anti-racism course that I did, actually, because it was, um, you know, you must go online. And some, the person who was sort of teaching it was from a book, but the writer of the book was, you must go online and amplify my voice. That was kind of the message. And then I started to think, if I, you know, am I doing any good by amplifying your voice? This is a business... 
specifically targeting, um, she describes it sort of hippie white women, spiritual white women. So it's white women with extra money, privileged white women who maybe do a bit of yoga, do a bit of meditation, and are now going to do an anti-racism course because they don't want to be complicit. They don't want to be an equal person. So they want to get this white supremacy out of them as much as possible. But then it started to become a bit cult-like. Mm-hmm. And if what you're saying, Hajj, you know, does everything have to be about the struggle? And, and I, I put all these struggles in one, you know, feminism too. I'm very passionate about that. But I decided recently to make my reading, my personal reading, struggle-free. So I don't analyze. If I've read five books by a white man in a row, I decided not to feel bad about it because there's some areas of my life in which I just have to be a bad person and I just have to pick up what I want to read and read it because one of the messages that we are receiving is if it's not about the struggle, it's nothing. And I think this brings us back to the book. In some ways, this story is about struggle and about abortion and about all of these things and this dystopia and about disabled rights and who is visible and who is not visible, yes. And in other ways... It's just a love story. Yeah. It's a love story of a mother and an aunt and a grandmother of a beautiful baby mm. that wasn't destined to be here for very long. Yeah. Gosh, got us all welling up. <laughs> no, it's so powerful. Um, mm. Well, maybe. Do, do we need to... It feels awful to go onto the one star. Well, we're, we're very we awkward. No, we're, no yeah. we're British and oh, we're awkward. No, we're she would love to... that. Yeah. She would love it that we follow up something <laughs> profound and moving and I'm on the edge of tears and we're like, who wants bacon? I was literally <laughs> about to say that. I was like, this is in the spirit of this book. And I it... had pulled up on my phone somewhere else now. Well, it so backs up what you said earlier, Vicky, is when just then when you were speaking about that, I was going, this is framing it so nicely. And obviously you welled up a bit in my brain. I'm going, what joke can I make? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, how can I Pull break? My finger. That's just how I, <laughs> yeah, how we respond, isn't it, to these things. Yeah. And and yeah, it's, it's amplified really nicely in this book, actually, just how the humour sits next to it. By the way, as I'm talking, so like I say, Vicky, I came into this podcast really undecided on the book. And it's actually discussing it and talking it through. It's like you sold it. Has, yeah, okay. you've, you've helped me form a positive opinion. Yeah, it's probably some kind of like group bias or something that's like really evil, like how to persuade people. And you wanted to con- conformity bias. That's what this is. You know, you came into the group and you're like, I must conform. And like, <laughs> yeah, I bet you the struggle is in here somewhere. I think it's because you give books real time, and when you read things, you remember you you think about the symbolism and the significance of certain words and phrases and all that, and it just gives you. Um, it's really helpful because I'm an extremely lazy reader unless I love something straight away and then I'll just read it and sort of think about it afterwards. Um, but you take such care over every line um, and it, it's a brilliant reminder of just just how much work has gone into a book from an author. These are not just throwaway lines. There's so much depth to it and um, cultural significance. And yeah, I, I mean, the symbolism as well, like you're saying about the British Museum and just details like that. Um, she was speaking to me too. I don't do that with every book, but she was speaking to privileged white women who uh, are guilt-ridden and and spend money to try to get rid of their guilt. And, and that's me. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is, yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Like what you were saying about doing that anti-racism course and exactly who that's targeted at. Um, and I feel like, yeah, the, the, certainly with the world that the character in this moves in, she she almost knows who the reader is, knows who's going to be relating to it. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair statement, do you think? Uh, yeah, what do you think, Hadj? I, I'd love to know if other what other people's take on it is. I mean, I, I feel like I'm the target, but I mean, I, I sometimes like listening to black writers talking about how stressful they find it to not be writing about the struggle. Mm. You know, they just want to write a, a love story or a biography of Queen Victoria or uh, a manual on gardening. And, and so they're feeling the pressure of, yeah, but how is my blackness helping? And, and what am I doing for my struggle? And how am I fighting oppression with this work on gardening in Queen Victoria? 
Uh, so I would be interesting on like interested to hear lots of different sort of takes on it, really. Well, I had the same thing about because obviously I started writing because of my upbringing, because of being you know mixed race, half Iranian, Muslim upbringing, all that sort of thing. And the last couple of book ideas I've started are just not really about that. They they infuse my knowledge of identity issues and all that sort of thing. But I'm like, I don't want to write about this anymore. I don't care. Like, I'm not trying to educate anyone. To be honest, the writing was therapy for me. And I'm actually quite happy to keep that inside. It doesn't need to see the light of day, really. I've um, gone through that. Maybe it might be helpful. It probably won't be. I'm in such a niche. It probably won't be helpful. Um, and it's just... Yeah, I was talking to... a um, friend in publishing about it and I thought I just want to write the stories I imagined when I was a kid when I wanted to be normal you know (laughs) and it's like you can't just write anything you want Um, but I think that's that is where the um, the issue comes in especially in the publishing industry that is people are seeking out um, well it not necessarily but there's always that oh we'll get a black person to talk about this struggle it's like well they're actually not you know they're an expert in other stuff but no we'll get them to talk about their identity constantly yeah. um which sorry, is adding to the exhaustion you want to do your one star reviews i'm sorry go no, so, no go for it so i've got them up here um there's only a few cool I'll, I'll just do the usual little top line um actually vicky have you listened to us before do you know about the one star reviews i have but i Maybe I stopped earlier. I listened to the one yesterday with you and your mum, but I don't remember the one-star reviews. So maybe ah, I didn't get... okay. You do have to go deep into the episodes to find them. That was so a long podcast, This actually. is the section of um, each podcast where we dig up the Amazon one-star reviews of whatever book we're talking about. Um, it's not to be mean. It's just usually one-star reviews are very funny and irrational and irate. And because you loved uh, No One Is Talking About This, uh, we're expecting you to come swinging <laughs> to its defence with each of these unreasonable reviews um, and I'm afraid they're not that funny um, okay we'll, the, we'll, we'll try a couple. there's very little humour in these ones simply well I mean uh, Ms Black says don't get it I found this to be totally incomprehensible I could not detect any story in it at all and skimmed most of it looking for something I could get a meaning from the author is obviously quite popular judging by the other reviews but this is too random for me but thank you, NetGalley, for my free review copy. <laughs> it's not the review they would be hoping for. Uh, so that's just a don't get it, which... I think it's fair. If it's too random for you, it's too random. Get another book. Yep. And I think that's the style when you're used to a certain type of writing. I mean, Jenny Offill's Broken Down thing was the first time I'd ever experienced that. Um, but it's also very freeing to read because you're like, oh, wow, you can just... You can write however you want to write. It's... um. Uh, Jean says confusing and irritating I was looking forward to reading this book which sounded quirky and original it was both but I also found it confusing and at times just as if the author had written a string of words for no particular reason Um, (laughs) from looking at other reviews the second half seems better if distressing but I'm afraid I gave up before I reached there Um, this is a book you have to finish I, I don't believe that about all books I have ditched books but, you know, you can't give an opinion on a book if you haven't finished it because you just don't know where the end game was. Yeah. I mean, so we finished, have an opinion. Um, we do have a, a thing on the Amazon One Star Reviews, which is um, just don't, don't bother. Why? Why? Why would you leave a one star review for a book? Unless it was, I don't know, unless it was like a nonfiction, it was utterly heinous and just hate ridden. Maybe. But it's. Um, I've had them, and I'm always really grateful for them. I've had this is the worst book I've ever written. Don't buy this trash. And I'm always like, well, I like to have the full perspective. Do, do you respond to them? No, I never would. And I, I actually like people's opinions. I, you know, I'd rather somebody read the book and gave it one star than was like, oh, I don't read books. So this is an interesting one. Um, 
It's the disease of which, this is PJE, it's the disease of which it purports to be a cure. Yeah. Aspiring to satirise shallow, empty, soulless life, it is itself shallow, empty and soulless. It's an instance of the disease of which it purports to be the cure. So I just repeated that in the main thing. But yeah. I think they did not finish and they're not admitting to it. (laughs) How you you can think that this uh, beautiful story that this book develops into is as shallow and vacuous as the portal. Me tells me you only got halfway through. And not understanding the work that goes into writing stuff. It's, It's just this idea that I think also like writing that's easy to read we assume it's easy to write it's like no that's the hardest writing that you know when it's easy to follow it's like that's because they put a lot of time and effort and thought into into every word um right this is the last one they're only about seven or eight um scout inflicting internet style hype upon readers i don't turn to literature to escape the hyped shallowness of the internet only to have it stylistically replicated and repackaged as a book um here's what i would say to ms lockwood uh, get I know get a blog this mess you publish between two covers is not a book okay it goes on it goes on we're gonna carry on we'll, we'll give Scout his uh, two minutes of utter fame um, I was prepared to read a book about someone who'd fallen in, into online addiction and whose feelings and reactions were filtered through the experience what I was not prepared to do was spend the majority of 222 pages it's not 222 being sucked into a morass how do you pronounce that Morris Morris no idea. well done well done I wait, I wait for two other things of pointless cultural minutiae although they've written minutia um, to attempt to make me viscerally experience what the narrator did one needn't drown to uh, one needn't drown to apprehend drowning just show me that the narrator is trapped between the Scylla and the Charybdis that's very Greek I don't I never know how to pronounce it it's a Scylla or whatever that's that was when we read Circe yes yeah see learning um of the internet and reality at some point an author needs to trust readers to invest themselves in the story because who wants to open a book about a dark and stormy night that cuts the power and sprays water in your face wow this is everything i stand against when it comes to book reviews um if all the endless rabbit hole internet stage dressing is removed from ms lockwood's tale there's nothing here but a woman's sister experiences a one in a million tragedy a woman and her sister that the author never actually introduces to the reader in better hands maybe i would wonder why i cared so little about the tragedy but if i the gal who cries at the Folgers, Folgers commercials, where neighbours do kind things to neighbours at Christmas. I'm not moved. I'm inclined to think it's an author issue, not a me issue. I'm very surprised that was a woman, you know, when I got to that well, last I don't time. know, because of the scout thing, I, I, is it like to kill a mockingbird or something while I'm mixing up all my stories? Maybe. And, um, and the Ms. Lockwood, I usually find that's like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. That reviewer was too smart for me. I, I missed half the things that she was talking about, to be honest, or he, so... It was it was a she because they said they're a gal who cries at commercials oh, yeah. where neighbours do kind things. Uh, um, yeah, uh, maybe it's the author issue, not a me issue. I mean, imagine the arrogance of a reviewer. You get to the end, you go, this is the author's fault. Nothing yeah. to do with how I read a book. And also the words that reviewer is using are very kind of, as a writer myself, kind I, of. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think this is a 17, 18 year old who has, you know, just done English literature in some form. And, uh, you know, the arrogance of youth. Um, when you want to bring I feel it's someone. a book that a lot of effort went into but maybe a traditional novelist might be a bit miffed that someone can get away with writing paragraphs and making a mosaic of a novel I don't know but mm. light up of it that could be it I think that's fair yeah someone that's wedded to a more traditional style yeah maybe. and it is yeah. challenging this, this stuff when you're not used to it um, 
and you're a really impatient reader because there is the more traditional style I do sort of warm to I mean Atwood to be honest when I first read Atwood I found that difficult because I was just so used to traditional styles and suddenly I was like wow people can write in these all these myriad ways um and then I you know loved Atwood um when I reread it um well I definitely subscribe to the theory that you should read stuff that challenges you yeah this challenged me in a nice way because actually like we said earlier Vicky like it's it's really readable the bite-sized paragraphs um Mm. what's maybe less readable or more challenging um is the fact that it's not so linear it is a kaleidoscope Mm. until the um part two but Yeah. yeah Um, well, yes, yeah, Scout, uh, very scathing, scathing Scout. Uh, but just, I mean, I got, never, can, can you even imagine thinking, yeah, it's just the author, they should get a blog. I'm perfect because I can quote, I don't know, Odys- Odysseus and all this stuff, Tales from the Odyssey. There we go. I've skim read. <laughs> my yeah, honestly, if I need to give up on a book, I, I just have a, like a quiet shame. Maybe that is my personality. Just quietly tuck it away and, and leave it from my Goodreads and move on. Mm. move on actually curious do do you um often give up on a book really because i'm so scared of missing out and Mm -hmm. i do trust authors um but sometimes yeah a couple of pages in i i think no i don't like this and i stop i live with myself not being able to have an opinion because if you don't get to the end it's quite tricky to have an opinion i mean there are people who have opinions about books that they haven't even read them so, but yes, I, I will abandon, but it is unusual because I'm, I'm probably goodish at picking books now that yeah. I'm going to get on with, maybe. I mean, that should be on a T-shirt, living with myself, not having an opinion. Um, <laughs> I heard something from this woman, she's written a book called Boundary Boss, her name's Terry Cole, and she says you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. <laughs> I saw that you said that, oh, yeah. and I, I think that's really relevant for Twitter. Yeah, so yeah. you don't... Um, but but also you, we've seen the evidence of people literally being like torn down because they're not attending an argument they don't want to go to. And that takes us back to the same thing. This this fear now. I mean, I experienced this as well. You know, a fear that I haven't said anything on what I'm supposed to be saying something about, and then I think no one cares. I write a tweet, literally, no one reads it, likes it, really. So if, if you know, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm not important. I don't need to make this contribution. There are other ways in which maybe I can contribute that may be more useful yeah. than a tweet. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Twitter is, of all of them, I think, the, the most guilty here. While it can be a great tool, Suspect. a lot of people putting a lot of noise out there and trying to cut through each other's noise with 140 characters or however many it is now. So how, and it's not a healthy way, I don't think. How to, have we got to this point? To, to, to guide the world and well, opinions. My brother it's, made yeah. an interesting point when he was round. He was talking about how before Twitter and all that, we used to have online forums. And at least you had a subject that you talked about. I mean, I know we still have forums, but that was the that was the precursor. Mm. Here's a subject. Talk about this specific thing. Um, and it just felt far sort of more intellectual and focused as well, rather than expecting everyone to know everything about everything. Mental. Imagine if we all just left. Imagine if we just said tomorrow we're out. That's it. We're gone. All of us together. Would the world stop turning? You know, there would still be protests because there's always been protests. Protests came before Twitter. So this idea that the only way we can tear down structures is by doing it on Twitter. No, we, we can we can do it in other ways. As, as so many people in the struggle of improving recently, we can yeah. actually put our boots on and go out there and all be together uh, and do what we need to do uh, rather than beating ourselves up. Yeah, well, which brings us back to the point I think you made at the top of the show. Where does all this end? <laughs> like, where does our social media 
life yeah well let's just leave it but first we have to promote this amazing episode of the podcast which hopefully has been very you know, <laughs> and then after that and after that we can all leave <laughs> <laughs> i love it it's yeah it's reading the facebook status that tells you how bad we are looking at our screens and the irony yeah. and the matter, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, it's like that fake um einstein quote that was going around about how the, in- the technology will make idiots of us all i'm like the irony of that being like sent around that you haven't even researched who it's by oh Vicky it has been so so lovely to talk to you about this book I think we've ended on quite a a good note there just um we have enjoying life we very quickly need to give it a score oh we do yes yep. score. so uh I think we're going to take your lead because this was your recommendation I think you've really summed it up nicely so mm. thank you so much for your take on it um uh, yeah, so we usually try and give the book a score out of 10. Which... Even though we know that's very anti-fiction and creative writing and, you know, how to score a book. But... Yes, but would you care to throw a number out there? I'm, oh, I'm going to give it a nine, I think. Love it. Well, let's go with that, yeah? Nine, a cool. nine. So... Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? Because I'm worried that I've been a bit evangelical about it and, and this is going to be one of those things that I really don't like, which is forcing people to all have the same opinion. I mean, Curtis, really, would you would you have said a nine if I hadn't, like... Forced you, really? I, I still haven't landed on it, but I tell you what, the number would be far higher than it would when I started. No, yeah. I, I came into the show having not yet formed an opinion. Literally uh, finished reading 20 minutes before we hit mm. record. So, um, and, and, and one thing I like, be it books, music, films, anything, is people being passionate about a thing or speaking about how much they love a thing and that makes mm. me love it does that make sense yeah. so so no i'm yeah. here for it i'm absolutely here for it yeah oh, guys thank you so much what what a pleasure and uh, and let's just see what happens to this book in the in the women's prize it certainly yeah. can be very interesting oh absolutely it will be really looking forward to seeing how the women's prize goes i think that's in um june actually and seeing how this book does right well dear dabblers thank you once again so much for listening uh this was i think the fifth episode of the second, third, third series of the Dabblers Book Club on our 25th episode. Um, as always, you can find out more about us on dabblersbookclub.com or find us on Twitter, haha, at Dabblers Books. And if you'd like to leave a nice review, you can do that as well. We would very much appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.